Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Red Men TV. It's the Newsroom Podcast, and it's me today. It's Ben um, hosting for the very first time. Um, it's uncharted territory for myself. Um, I'm joined today by our guest, um, Luke Moore, from the Football Ramble Daily um, and also mainstream me, mainstream radio presenter as well. Luke, thanks very much for joining me. Thank um, you very much for having me. trip down, out from down south. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it came about, I suppose, in a relatively unorthodox way. I basically chatted you up in a bar um, <laughs> at, the yeah. end of, at the end of the tour. It's the first time I've been chatted up in a bar ever. I ever? Think. Really? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm honoured to be the first. <laughs> guys to do it um, you, you told me that night that you haven't often been up to Liverpool much you know, no you, you I know. haven't this is my third ever visit the first one was to interview Jamie Carragher Okay. The second one was to do that show. Yeah. And the third time was this one. Okay. Cool. So they've all been football related. All football related yeah. stuff, but you've never been to Anfield. I haven't. Yet. No. So, well, that's something, so to, something to keep turn on off the now, list. No, not so. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so obviously, this is um, the part one on YouTube. You should be watching this on YouTube. We're going to talk about Liverpool because obviously you do you do the ramble with with the four of you and the other people that you do it with. Um, but you know, you never. I suppose you never get an in depth chance to talk about Liverpool. No. For half an hour, forty minutes. We can't really talk about anything for too long. No, because we have to bounce bam, along bam, to the next bam, thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. um, So, so yeah, we're going to talk. We're going to chat about Liverpool. The second part that will be out on the website. Um, it's going to be all about Football Ramble Daily and the podcasting industry and the way the podcasting industry has changed the mainstream media industry and all of that so head over to the website right now um, theremontv.com for a free first day trial um, and you can get that second part of this it's going to be a really interesting hour or so here Luke I think so mm. let's just let's just get into it then I guess I guess the best way to start this is in the short term as in this season just tell me how impressed you've been by Liverpool. Everybody yeah. on this channel wants to hear that. Yeah. Um, for Liverpool to have carried on through the end of last season, to, mm. to have kept winning, to miss out on the league by a point, okay, they picked up a European Cup, but to miss out, you know, to get 97 points and miss out on the league, how, how impressed have you been with us being able to keep going and keep up the form that we have and carry it into this season as well, having suffered that setback? I'm disappointed they dropped two points. Two points, yeah. So <laughs> no, was I. Um, Man United. Yeah, I've been, I've been very impressed. I think I think um, that it's an interesting situation because I think some some people are in terms of online and on Twitter and 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 all the areas people can have their opinions heard now that there has to be this kind of dichotomy about whether it's the fact that Liverpool are brilliant or whether the rest of the league aren't very good and. I think I think it can be both of those things. I think Liverpool have been absolutely fantastic. I mean, the numbers we're seeing them posting are unprecedented in 
top flight football as far as I know certainly since the inception of the Premier League um, to use that arbitrary cut off point um, and I have been impressed because for them to go so close last season and I know you made the point fairly that they won the European Cup as well but that Liverpool have won European Cups we know that I mean, mm. we, you know, they've won six of them and, and they have a rich history in that competition but I think we all know that they want to win the Premier League yeah. and they want to win the league title again and so it's and that's a, one we wanted yeah of course the fa- I'd imagine the fans would have yeah. probably preferred the league title last season yeah. if you could be in such a luxurious position where you could choose so it's amazing they would pick themselves up and, and go again because um, 97 points is is a ridiculous tally. I mean, if you look that they've come along at the same time when Man City have won 100 and then 98, it's bad timing. You know, I remember speaking to Jamie, as I said to you a second ago, when I spoke to Jamie Carragher and said that, you know, you're disappointed that you never won a league title. He said, well, there were a period, there's a period of time when we kind of did everything we could. I mean, we only lost two games one season and we still didn't win it. And I think they lost four or five games. Well, Man United, it was Ferguson's Man United. Yeah. There was always yeah. another team in the way and that was, that was the same issue last season. Did you... Given how good City have been for so long, the, the, the two incredible seasons, back-to-back, and again, the, the, the psychology around it, did you expect Liverpool to be able to pick themselves up and go again? Or were they always going to have to rely, not necessarily rely, but were they going to have to rely on City dropping off a little bit? Like, you know, Did you expect Liverpool to drop off and they needed City to drop off more? Um, it's a good question. I think at the start of the season, I would have said that I thought Man City would have won the league again because yeah. I think they're just they're just machines. And, yeah. and and you mentioned Alex Ferguson there. He does talk quite a lot in his first autobiography about how the second to, to defend the title is really tough. And of course, because you get that almost subconscious kind of relaxation in your players where you go, well, they've won the league now, and they can talk all they like about defending it and how important it is. But that, once they've won it. Um, it's, it can be difficult to lift yourself again but I think looking back on what happened with Liverpool I think Klopp's done an amazing job of saying to them I know you're disappointed now but you know we can we can do this and I think if, if they win it this year which they obviously will it'll be interesting to see how they react next season but Man City have been worse this season I yeah. mean there, there's no there's, there's no, no question oh yeah, there's no yet. doubt about that that doesn't mean it, that doesn't mean that takes anything away from what Liverpool are achieving it's just a simple fact that Man City are I think seven or eight points worse off at this point this the season than they were last season but regardless of that it wouldn't make any difference even if Man City were posting the numbers they posted last season or the season before they're still going to they're still going to have been nowhere near what Liverpool are doing now do you think that the perception of because Man City, let's not let's you know. There's no there's no doubt in Man City you're having a good season. You know, in the in the in the context of the Premier League mm. and sides who have won the Premier League in the past, what what we've seen from Man City in 1718 and 1819 was a complete anomaly in terms of they set those they set that scene and Liverpool came and joined them and now they've continued that. But like, are, is there a perception that City are so much worse because they're now just having? what we'd probably consider to be a normal season from mm. a title contender 10 years ago, mm. but because of the standards that they set themselves, mm. they're almost victims of their own success. I think, I think it's another good question. I think with, with you look at Guardiola specifically, the way he sort of imparts information onto his players and mm. what he expects from his squad and how he expects them to play, it's probably not a environment that's conducive with a, to long-term success. I mean, if you look at what he achieved Barcelona between eight and twelve, it's yeah. only four years. Yeah, yeah. The days of, of of managers at that level staying at the same place for a long, long time, I think, are probably behind us. So it might just be a case that Guardiola's run out of road. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I, I can actually flip it. If someone said to, if people say that, um, 
oh, if Man City were better, would this be different? Well, it's hard to see how Liverpool improve, apart from those two points they've lost. They literally yeah. can't improve any more than that. But you could probably make the argument that if they had someone pushing them shoulder to shoulder Essentially. every week, yeah. would that make Liverpool even better? Would they win games by even more goals? Would they know what was at stake to, to, a, to a larger extent to mm. make them even better? So if you want to have those hypothetical arguments, I think they go both ways anyway. I think what, what is the reality is that Liverpool are you know, probably in terms of a single season sort of... Um, sort of um, set of parameters a single season called sample size they're the best Premier League team that we've ever seen mm-hmm. and, um, I, and I think that will probably continue to be the case into May yeah so in terms of the foundations that Jurgen Klopp's setting obviously he's, a lot of young kids played against Shrewsbury last night and, and they obviously won that game and there's there's a few like really promising talents coming through but you know you can tell with the with the average age of the squad you know what I think City's problem is personally is that I think they're, they've reached or are reaching the end of a cycle in terms of Vincent Company left, mm. um, David Silva's going at the end of the season, mm. Sergio Aguero is world class, but he's not going to stay at this level for another five, six years. Mm. You know, they're, they're, for me, they're desperate to win the Champions League mm. because they've not won it yet. But Liverpool's squad is just a couple of years behind them in terms of average age. And I think that in terms of the foundations for going forward, I personally think that Liverpool are better set up for what could be a, a, a spell of domination you know, over, yeah. over four or five years. I don't know whether you agree with that. Well, I would because I think that I think it's only Gini Vinaldum that hasn't got a long-term yes. contract. Yeah, right? yeah. So he's got 18 months left and they'll probably And renew. even that is... Yeah, you so know, everyone else is settled. Yeah. You've got players who are at the peak of their powers. Um, you've got a good combination. There's a good combination of experience and, and, and youth. Um, all, the, all the basics and the fundamentals are, are good. The detail is good. I mean, you look at how it's, it's kind of I think there's a few few main areas about the detail Klopp's importance that he's placed upon things like throwing coaches making this pitch a different style mm-hmm. so they can play more conducive football more conducive to um to, to a passing thing I mean I remember a couple of years ago there was complaints about the pitch it was it was yeah it well he completely tore well. it up yeah, yeah it wasn't staying well it wasn't it was enough, staying, yeah. and I think he's been backed by the ownership yeah. in, in order to make those kind of improvements but also what he's done really well is he's shown that What's important to a club like Liverpool is kind of an emotional intelligence as well. Like not not just because if you look at if you look at Guardiola because he's the other great coach around in the Premier League at the moment, is he is he able to tap into the emotional kind of experience of Manchester City? Pro- I don't know if there is one. At well, Manchester then, he City. might not be able to. Yeah. He might not be able. It might not be available to him. But even if there was, would he be as adept at doing that? I, I would argue no, no. he wouldn't be able to because I think that he's a different type of character to Klopp who came in very aware of Liverpool's history, um, very aware of what's important to the people of Liverpool and, and, and the club itself and has been able to tap into that. He slots in there for me as an outsider looking in. You know, you see these um, great banners of all these great Liverpool coaches down the years and managers. He slots in there. I mean, he, yeah. he, he, fits, he fits perfectly in there. Yeah. He's a, he wears his heart on his sleeve. He understands what the club means to the city. Uh, and he's, he's tapped into that rich history. So all those things have added up to the fact that obviously it helps. They've got a brilliant team and a lot of good players. But it's all part of the whole. It's all one package. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think as, so. as, a, as a neutral fan and as somebody who, like, because we get people in here and they mainly tend to be Liverpool correspondents, but even on the other shows that we do, they tend to be fans of Premier League clubs. So for mm. somebody who's, who's supporting a team outside of the Premier League and can look at the Premier League almost completely neutrally, when... Talk about what you, the points you were just making there. When Klopp first arrived, everything that you said there, we could see relatively early on as yeah. Liverpool fans. We could see what he was trying to do. Because you're closer to it. Because yeah. we're closer to it. Yeah. It was that something that 
that you could spot. But have you think about like the the famous pictures of the the West Brom, the thanking the cop in front of yeah. the, in front of the, and that was mocked at the time. Yeah. But could you see could you see the idea, especially as a journalist, could you, could you see the idea behind that from him, or were you a bit confused by that? And now do you see the value that things like that had? On where we are now, because there's comparisons drawn, for example, between those pictures and after the Barcelona game in May, where yeah. they, they're all lined up in front of the cop again, and it's like this is the journey. What my, so yeah, my question is, you know, when cop first arrived, could yeah. you see the emotional, um, yeah, the emotional side to it, or did you think he was a bit of a circus or you know whatever? You know? Well, I think I think there was a, definitely a movement. Of, of, of football fans who thought that he was a bit affected mm -hmm. and a bit um, bit of a showman mm -hmm. and he was doing certain things for the cameras that he wouldn't have done naturally but I think there's a few responses and I, I, I was probably um, I was probably at least aware of that if not a part of that at the time um, but I think there's, there's a few responses to that one is that Every coach, really. I mean, if you look at the way Jose Mourinho carries himself, he's yeah. a completely different character. But I mean, he certainly does things that would that, distract yeah. or, or or will serve a further purpose for his team. I, I wouldn't be well. I, I'm fairly certain that a lot of coaches at the top level will say to their players, "This is what we this is what we're going to be doing. Don't worry about what I'm doing out there. Mm -hmm. That's my thing. You just yeah. worry about your thing." And and the second response is to, is that for me at least, football is entertainment. So. He he, and, and I think Klopp understands that. I think he understands that he has to, he has to play his part in in making this an entertainment spectacle, and he has to give his players a bit of a breathing room by making himself a bigger personality. And I think a lot of the, a lot of the top coaches, if not all of the top coaches, do that. I mean, I can't think of a a successful coach, trophy winning coach in twenty twenty, who. Um, doesn't understand that as part of the job, and no. I think we probably feel a little bit uncomfortable about it as as in Britain because there's a lot of people in Britain are quite reserved and don't like to express themselves. But if you transpose it across to the US, I mean, you said earlier you're a fan of NFL. I've got quite a lot of family in the US. What they do very well is they understand that everything's an extension of the entertainment industry, right? Mm -hmm. So as long as you get that, you can kind of feel your way through it that way whether it be politics sport or whatever it's all kind of seen as entertainment yeah and I think we're probably a bit a bit earnest and a bit worthy about football here um because we're set in our ways in a way aren't yeah we? I think so and I think when Klopp comes in I mean I I, I was aware of Klopp back from when he when he was at Dortmund and yeah. I, I'd seen Dortmund play and I, I kind of knew that that's what he was like anyway yeah. um it was just a case of wasn't there some kind of um clip where he was seen doing one thing and then when he saw the cameras on him he was doing something else but I mean even if that was the yeah. case I mean, it doesn't, there's, there's, it doesn't really matter a, does it there's a um, what he does like to do is at the end of a big game or you might have seen it on Twitter and stuff he will um, he'll fist pump towards the cop Yeah. but he was doing that long before he genuinely was doing that long before the cameras picked it up mm. and he, he does always still do it Saturday 3 o'clock when there aren't as many cameras on the pitch at the end he'll, yeah, he'll, yeah. he'll still do it like we, when we beat Leicester in October, we beat them with a last-minute penalty, and that was Saturday three o'clock. So, yeah. so it, it, it's not. It, I genuinely believe that a lot of what he does it isn't for the cameras. Um, but I think I think you're right in the sense of he he knows. I think there's situations where he does know that cameras are there, and it, it, particularly in situations last season. So, and I think Mourinho does this very well as well. It, it, he will say and do things if the team haven't have underperformed. To get people talking about him yeah. and what he's doing and what he's saying instead. Yeah. Um, the the wind excuse was the yeah. was the one after Everton, I think I in, that, yeah. in in March that would have been, and that was mm. the last. I mean that 
was the start of this incredible run for us. That was mm. you know we, we've only dropped two points since that game. Mm. Um, but he, the way he said that, that's all anybody was talking about. Liverpool should have won that game. They had chances to win that game. But mm. all any all anybody was talking about was Jurgen Klopp and the wind. Mm. And Mourinho did this brilliantly for years, mm. particularly in the second second stint at Chelsea. I mm. thought where he was. Yeah, he the things he says he chose chose things very well. Chose mm. chose words and phrases. But I, very I, well. I think I think when you speak to you speak to ex players and you and you and you talk about because the reason I say ex players is because they're a lot more open with how things are mm-hmm. and how things were, and you and you and you talk about the managers they played under. It appears to me that <clears throat> the man management side of it is really important and probably more important than the tactical side. Yeah, you know, they're, they're they're both important. But if you can find a manager or a human being managing your team who can look after the, the, the man management and is good enough at the tactics. It's like a potent combination, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll have people who are brilliantly technically good, like when Glenn, Glenn Hoddle managed England, but as a man manager, he was a disaster because yeah. he was just a certain type of character. And and then sometimes you'll have the opposite, you know, the Harry Redknapp type yeah. where he'll, he'll, he'll gee you up and he'll put his arm around you and he'll make you feel great. But maybe tactically at the very top level, he's not got it. With Jürgen Klopp, you see... What you're seeing, I think, is it. Well, I'm certain what you're seeing is evidence of both of those things, and he's yeah. adept at both of them. And and you were know. you always sure that he could be, in, like tactically, as in, you know, we saw what we saw at Dortmund and the exciting football that he that he played there, and they reached the court European Cup final. I think they won a couple of German leagues back to back. But when he arrived at Liverpool, he basically tried to replicate that completely with the Gagan pressing and, mm. and the exciting free throwing football. And Liverpool have definitely changed their approach over the last couple of seasons. He's, he's evolved again. Yeah. I think. Within within eighteen months of Klopp being at Liverpool and the amount of crazy games that you will have seen, you know, three threes, four fours, you know, yeah. and all of that. Were you ever sure? Was there was there enough there for you to think that he would be able to? fix things up defensively because defend, the, the old cliche saying goes that defences win championships yeah. so and he said that he said that himself again 18 months into his tenure when Liverpool were winning all sorts of mad games but we were always conceding goals and we were never even if we were winning games comfortably it was always 4-1 5-2 things like that were you seeing anything or were you seeing enough to suggest that he would be able to get that right later down the line um, I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't describe myself as a tactical expert it's not it's not an area of, of the game that I'm particularly mm-hmm. um, educated in but what I would add what I was thinking when you were asking that question is just that clearly they've 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 signed the best defender in the world and arguably the best goalkeeper in the world and that's going to solve a lot of your problems yeah. because what 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 people forget I think when they watch football and they cover football is that particularly if you're a club focused kind of channel like you guys are that the other teams have got good players as well right mm-hmm. and the other teams are going to score goals yeah. really yeah. really. I mean you know you look at Mourinho they're still Premier League sides yeah Mourinho's Chelsea in 05 what are they can see 15 goals yeah. that's the record or something Liverpool are going to do something yeah, a yeah. bit higher than that but they're going to do well yeah. they're still going to concede goals because there are other teams have got good players so a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. How that relates to what, what Klopp's doing, I, I feel a bit like... He's always been a, a, a good manager, of course, but he's evolved again to get over that hump because it wasn't that long ago where he had a reputation of, as being the guy who lost finals. I mean, I was at the, mm. the Bayern Munich-Dortmund Champions League final in um, 13 at Wembley. Yeah. Um, and he just felt like Dortmund are a really great side to watch. They're really attractive. I can see why people like them. But Bayern Munich are a machine. They're almost certainly going to win. And and what he's been able to do is, is kind of shake that off. This yeah. kind of, I've lost four or five finals in a row and now, he, now he's been able to do it. How's he been able to do it? Well, he's been supported by um, by the ownership. He's yeah. been able to go out and buy players for, for decent money. Um, Van Dijk was expensive, but he's the best defender in the world. That's going to be expensive. Yeah. He's gone and got one of the world's best keepers and that's helped him a lot. He's also been able to identify... Um, talent when it's there as well. Like Alexander Arnold on one side and Andy Robertson gone and found him and bought him on another side. There was a lot to suggest that Andy Robertson was a good fullback when he was at Hull, but but never this level. Nobody. I don't think so. No, even we think as fans when he when he was signed, I was on holiday at the time and we were desperate for a left back. We were mm. absolutely desperate for a left mm. back. We had Alberto Moreno yeah. and and it wasn't it wasn't working out. He'd um, he flapped it at the Europa League final the yeah. year before we signed Andy Robertson. We tried to give him another season and, and Moreno just was, wasn't going anywhere. So we were desperate for left back and we were being linked with all sorts of names all over Europe and then to see Andy Robertson for mm. eight million from Hull. Yeah. But Liverpool, other than other than Loris Carius, who was cost four million pounds, and I think there's still a little bit of a question mark over Naby Keita, the remarkable thing for me has been Liverpool since Gurgen Klopp arrived. Liverpool's recruitment policy and Liverpool's yeah. rec- recruitment strategy has been spot on every single time. And they're going into an environment probably where there's, there's such high achievers yeah. all around them and every detail's taken care of. And, and that's the thing, another manager, measure of a manager isn't just um, the trophies he wins and how he conducts himself, but it's also how he improves players as mm-hmm. well. I think, I think Klopp's been able to, to rinse a lot more value than anyone could have reasonably expected out of pretty much every player yeah. he's had at Liverpool. I mean, you know, Everyone knew Salah was a talent, but Salah had issues with um, with his mentality, Chelsea, yeah. and he had problems. I, I mean, I spoke to a player who, who claims to have been sat next to Salah when Jose Mourinho would make him cry at half time at Chelsea. You know, I, I've heard I've heard problems that Salah had working under a manager that didn't suit him. Yeah. Of course, he goes to work under Klopp, and it's like a marriage made in heaven, and all yeah. of a sudden he's un- untapping all this potential. And it's the same with some of the other players as well. I mean, Firmino, good player, was he come from Hoffenheim? Yeah, did yeah, well yeah. in the Bundesliga. I don't, from memory, I don't think he scored hatfuls of goals. Yet he's well, coming well, in. Well, he was a he was a Brendan Rodgers signing. Yeah. He arrived that summer, and when and the problem that Brendan Rodgers had, I think again, you got to give him credit for making the sign, I suppose. But up until Klopp arrived, yeah. we didn't really know what he was. Yeah. We didn't know if he was an out and out nine or a number mm. ten, or mm. even if he was a wide player. Mm. And then Klopp has obviously designed a system that suits him perfectly, and we mm. now know exactly what he is. He's mm. he's he's, he's I'm convinced that when we look back on this Liverpool team, 
there will be the Roberto Firmino role because I don't think that anybody plays Roberto Firmino wouldn't be as effective in, in, in any other team in the world mm. but no other striker would be quite as effective as he is in our mm. position so, so the debate about strikers in the Premier League so you've got Harry Kane you've got Aguero you've got Aubameyang you've got whoever you, you can't necessarily just quantify well would you swap Roberto Firmino for Sergio Aguero no. because it's not it's a different role it's yeah, a d- completely different thing yeah, and I, I think that's that is something that Klopp has done very well he's moulded a player who we weren't convinced really of him and what he was doing he didn't score while Rodgers was in charge mm. um, and he's and he's designed a system that, that, that benefits him brilliantly but across the whole of the squad there's one player that I do want, want to talk to you about and that's Jordan Henderson yeah. because you obviously a massive England fan as well mm. so you're you, you get the benefits of Jordan Henderson at sporadic periods of the year and sometimes, sometimes yeah. in summers yeah um, just tell me a little bit about what you thought I'd say over the last 12 months because Liverpool when they signed Fabinho they kind of they kind of let Jordan Henderson off the leash a little bit he was playing the number 6 role in Liverpool's yeah. system for a long time and he, he wasn't brilliant at it. it was good but he, you know Fabinho came in and it was clear once Fabinho embedded into the side that he was going to be a class above really in terms yeah. of defensive midfielder it allowed Henderson to bomb on and play one of the two eights in the 4-3-3 mm. and since then he's flourished mm. Just, just tell me a little bit about what you've made of his developments over the last twelve yeah. months, and, and not only on the pitch, but in terms of you know what you want out of a captain, you know, in terms of you know the desire to win trophies for a club that he's yeah. clearly got a, a big love for now. He's been here nearly ten years. I think it's an interesting story because um, also interestingly because I'm old, I'm used to having that. You called it a number six, but I always called it a number four. See, I've had this debate before. And I think it might come from <laughs> Europe, maybe. I think I think in Europe, maybe they call it a six, and now everyone's taken it as a six. But for me, it's always a four. So four. I was a bit confused for like half <laughs> that question. But um, I think, I said this on Football Ramble Daily a few weeks ago, actually, is that there was a debate around Jordan Henderson about when he moved from Sunderland to Liverpool. I don't know if you remember. You probably do. Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson came out and said that... Um, it, it was leaked somehow that Alex Ferguson said he didn't like him because of his, the way he moved and the way he ran mm-hmm. and his gait was a bit odd and he was worried about injuries and all the rest of it and because of the type of player he has been over the years in England I think we're particularly bad at recognising those type of players and what they bring so we're very good at pigeonholing a Steven Gerrard yeah. everyone can see what Steven Gerrard does he'll grab a game by the scruff of the neck he can beat a man he can, he's can. he got an engine on him he's got two good feet he scores goals he can do everything everyone can see that right okay I think we're particularly bad because we don't have a very good tactical education in this country as football fans compared to someone like Italy um, that we can't really see what a Jordan Henderson mm-hmm. has done or um, and I'm not talking about more recent Henderson because he's been a li- he's been a lot more in the public eye recently yeah. because he's because, well, because he's, he's ca- adding the goals and assists to his game but also well. because he's a captain of a, of a brilliant team who wins yeah. trophies all the time so every time you see a picture of a of Liverpool lifting a trophy I mean he's yeah. pretty much he's holding there, yeah. so so anyway the, the point I'm just trying to make is that he's while everyone's been having this debate about what he does he's just gone on and done it. And what I said on Football Round World Daily is he's he's not really spent much time worrying about the coverage. He's just gone on with it. And I think he is such an asset. He's, he's an incredible asset for Liverpool. He, he, he will go on to be a huge asset for England this summer, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, again, it's just a testament of, of Klopp being able to unlock his potential. Having better players around him as well is obviously going to help. Yeah. And him moving into that role which is more suited yeah. for him. Because Well, it's interesting because he then ended up having to drop back because Fabinho got himself injured over the Christmas period and even then he's been at the top level it's almost as if he's been learning from having 
playing underneath a world class defensive midfielder. Mm. You know, he come he come back and when Fabinho got injured, I think it was in the Napoli game in November. Everybody was a bit like, yeah. "That's a key player," but we've yeah. not missed him at all to the point where the Henderson has been playing so well that you've you you're, you're almost saying to Fabinho, "Just you just take your time." Yeah, yeah. You just, you just well, get Henderson, yourself Henderson, fit. One of the things that when when you mentioned that that move back into that role, the thing that I think of is is it, I I remember when that happened, and I remember thinking I didn't really appreciate this range of passing. Mm. He's almost like he's almost like a quarterback when he plays. Yeah, it never it never was like that again yeah. when he before Fabinho arrived. What 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 you associated with Jordan Henderson was his energy and his closing down and his tackling mainly. Mm. But I don't know whether that little bit of more creative freedom again. I'm I'm not as like you. I'm not in as tactic you know astute as, as yeah. some people. But I don't know whether having a bit more of a freedom to do a bit more of an attacking role has 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 not only improved his actual ability but mm. also encouraged in terms of. Just his belief that he can do those kind of things yeah. from a deeper role as well. Yeah, I think so. And I think also you got. To, I think with Liverpool, when they lose the ball, they're just relentless. Mm-hmm. Like it's absolutely insatiable how quick they, they they hunt in packs. They close down. The other, like the other team doesn't really get time to think, really. Yeah. And he's a very much a part of that, and he's kind of orchestrating, doing his thing. But also, he's got players around him who are swarming on players, and then he get and they get the ball back so quickly yeah. that obviously helps him as well. Okay, let's move on a little bit then, because we we talked very briefly at the top of the show about. Like how, why Liverpool are where they are right now mm. in terms of being so far ahead. There's a 22 point gap at the top of the Premier League, which mm. is ridiculous. And I don't yeah. think anybody's had a bigger lead at any point no. um, in, in any in any Premier League season. Um, but there's a there's a there's a perception that the league's been poor, and we talked a little bit specifically about Manchester City, Manchester City. But the generally accepted top six, if you like, have, have dropped off a little bit. I think you know Arsenal mid table, Man United, yeah, are struggling and stuff. Do, do you do you buy into the fact that it's a it's a weaker league because those teams aren't doing so well, or do you actually look at it and say? Oh, actually, you know, you've got the likes of Burnley who can suddenly turn on a win. You Leicester are flying, Sheffield United. You know, you've got to give these teams credit. Is it? Is it? You know, again, your in your opinion, is there a perception that it's weaker because of the top six sides aren't doing so well, or is it a stronger league because anybody can beat anybody? I think it depends on your parameters and what you're looking for. I don't really know how you judge what's a weak league and what isn't mm. um, because I mean, there's a few ways you could try. I mean, you look at the where the best players in the world are and England have got their yeah. fair share of those I'd yeah. say in the Premier League um, and then you could think about the state that the respective clubs are in and if you to take the top six teams and obviously you move Liverpool to one side because we know how good they are you've already mentioned yourself you think Man City are coming towards the end of a cycle mm-hmm. it, it is clear that Spurs, Man United Arsenal Spurs and Chelsea yeah. have all got quite identifiably Big weaknesses, big problems. I yeah. mean, you, you got Spurs have just changed their manager. They came to an end of a cycle unquestionably. Man yeah. United are in an absolute state with a manager way out of his depth. Chelsea have got a rookie manager and they've just come off the back of a, of a transfer ban. And Arsenal are in a huge transition in a post sort of Wenger world. It goes back to what I said at the top of it. Those things are all true. There's no way any of those clubs we've just listed there are in a vintage period of what they've been capable of. I mean, Spurs across a calendar year, not that very long ago, were probably the best team yeah. in the Premier League. I mean, they didn't win a title, but for a calendar year, yeah, they were great. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and that's the sort of thing Spurs fans would say, right? But you understand <laughs> what I mean. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a tangible thing you can look at because you can go across that calendar year, they got this amount of points, yeah. and that was more than anyone else. So, and, and of course, Chelsea, Arsenal, may not have all, have all won Premier League titles. But nevertheless, as I said at the top of this, I think it's hard to make an argument 
that any of those teams at their best could deal with what Liverpool, Liverpool are doing, doing now. Yeah. Just on a on a purely statistical level. I also think, you know, something that's a bit underplayed as well is the fact that Liverpool have got Man United, Man City, Everton, and arguably Chelsea in recent years as yeah. derby games yeah. to play. Mm-hmm. So that's that that makes it's it lot, hard as it's well. A lot of tough games to play. A, yeah. a lot's made of, of Spurs' situation about their derby games. They have Arsenal, they have West Ham, they have Chelsea. They have a lot of kind of local derby games that are fiercely contested. And does that hurt them or does that help them? I think it probably does make it harder because you've got I mean I mean, are Everton going to want Liverpool to win the, the league at Goodison Park? Oh, absolutely not. No. no. I imagine <laughs> they're going to fight two for now for that so when you're up there you're, you're there to be shot at so I think it's both those things I think I don't I don't know how to judge whether it's a vintage Premier League or not I think every other team apart from Liverpool in the Premier League this season is capable of turning in dreadful performances mm-hmm. but I, I can't really remember if that was been the case every year I mean yeah. it probably has at some point so so why do you think that there's a these shouts of a weak league I don't know from my experience and again everybody everybody on Twitter and this is the problem Twitter ends up living in their own little bubble right Yeah. so for me though two years ago when it was Man City in their 100 point season yeah. and they were 19 points or whatever it was ahead of Man United it was second, 19 yeah, yeah. They, these shouts weren't there it was just about how good Man City were and how good Man City have been yeah. so what do you think the difference is? It's uh, a good question don't know I'm not sure. I, th- I think Twitter's not real life. That's no, important no. To, to understand. And I think that um, there's a narrative that Liverpool have never won the Premier League. And I yeah. think a lot of people quite enjoy that. Yeah. Um, if you ask me at the start of this season, would it be funny if Liverpool didn't win the league this season? I'd probably say yes. Right. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> but I can acknowledge what they've achieved. Yeah, definitely. Do I think it's funny that Man United are in a terrible state? Oh, well, I think it's quite well, funny. That's a, pop, that's a yeah. more popular yeah, thing. Exactly. I should have yeah. led with that. I should have started with that. <laughs> but because I think, of, I think of football as entertainment and as, as, as something that's interesting to me, I don't see it as um, life and death. I, I, yeah. I just don't. So, so, um, so for me, it's probably because people like the fact that Liverpool have never won the league before. Mm-hmm since the Premier League's yeah, inception. Yeah. Of course, it's not happened since 1990. So that'll be part of it. And Man City have won it more recently, haven't they? And, yeah. and I think they, I think it's fair to say they did get quite a lot of stick when they were take, over, taken over and brought those players in. I think when um, there was talk that Rubinho didn't know he was signing for Man City, I think they got quite a lot of stick then. Mm-hmm. So if there's something there to be tacked onto or a narrative that people can tap into to take, take the piss, they will. Yeah. And in Liverpool's case, it's probably this. That's probably why. So in general, again, you know, it's important you've said that you know, Twitter isn't real life but mm. again we all live in our bubbles and for Liverpool fans on Twitter there is a little bit of a reputation that I mean the unbearables yeah, yeah, okay. t- the term has been thrown around yeah. about how, how unbearable it would be oh it would be awful Liverpool because yeah. the they won't stop going on about yeah. it even though pretty much every argument from every rival fan for the last five years has just been in the form of a Gerrard slip gift yeah, 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 so, so you know if, if you poke the bear it's going to bite eventually yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. but you obviously living outside the north and living yeah. down and working and living in London. Yeah. What's your experience of not only Liverpool fans yourself, but yeah. also the perception of Liverpool fans? Like in general, the average guy, you know, yeah. it, is it as is the is the reputation of Liverpool fans as it seems, or like do, do most neutral fans kind of you know do they have a problem with Liverpool in the league? I think, I think Liverpool fans need to understand Liverpool's role mm-hmm. in. English football. I mean, yeah. Liverpool's role in English football is as you know, we could sit here and have the uh, have a debate about who's the bigger club in England, Liverpool or Man United, and I'm sure 
I'd be persuading the current company that it's Liverpool and if yeah. I went right over the road and spoke to Man United they'd probably better convince me it's Man United yeah. but the point is they are the two biggest clubs so when you're up there you're there to be shot at yeah. you know? and so what does that mean well that means that if you're big and you're out there and you're winning things one everyone's going to have an opinion on of you uh, and you have to get used to that two um, that there's going to be a far bigger fan base well, what does that mean well that means there's probably going to be far more idiots so you could probably find a lot more insightful Liverpool fans about Liverpool because there's a lot more fans. But you could, on the other side of that, you can find a lot more unbearable. Am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah, unbearable yeah. dickheads yeah. who who probably you read a yeah. fellow Liverpool fan saying some stupid shit and go, oh god, that's that's the last thing we need because that's given us a bad name. So when people go hashtag unbearables, I would say they're probably referencing those that part of the fan base who are just a bit cringe. Mm. Well, there are probably thousands of cringe Portsmouth fans. But no one cares because Portsmouth are tiny compared to Liverpool. There's nowhere near the size of a fan base. If I go down to Fratton Park and watch Pompey, sometimes I'm surrounded by people who I personally think don't know what they're talking about. But there's not that many of them. There's not a voice. And, and, yeah, and a if, I, if I asked you who Portsmouth's manager is, you might be able to tell me, but most people probably wouldn't be able to tell me. No. So, And you have to get used to your role, right? So when Portsmouth play Arsenal in the FA Cup in a, in a couple of weeks at home, I think we've got a good chance. But people aren't going to think about Portsmouth for the rest of the season outside of that game in the FA Cup because they've got a big draw against a big Premier League team. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? So yeah. It's about understanding and, and, and accepting the role. If you want all these trophies, and you are going to get all these trophies, sometimes you're going to get people having a pop at you. It's mm. as simple as that. And do you think, so do you think, for example, and we want to talk about the VAR stuff a little bit because the, the mm. perception has been that Liverpool have benefited from VAR perhaps more than others now there's been a whole survey to disprove that theory but again it's another one of those narratives isn't it that Liverpool that, that fans will I suppose create in order to, to shoot at Liverpool because for me Liverpool the reason it's perceived that Liverpool have benefited so much from VAR this season is because when VAR decisions have gone against us we've just gone and won the game anyway because we're that good but yeah. people, people so my, my, take, take, my take will be slightly different but it doesn't detract from your point which is that if you're a team who's dominating the league to that extent, you're probably getting a lot more of the ball. Mm -hmm. You're probably making a lot more chances. So there's probably going to be a higher percentage chance that you're going to get some decisions or there's, there's going to be more yeah. of those decisions. So the people who are complaining about Liverpool getting good VAR decisions, they're probably not thinking about the, the decisions that went against Liverpool mm. um, in VAR-wise. because it, But there's just so many of them that the ones that benefit Liverpool are going to be remembered because there's more of them, I expect. And the other thing is that, to add to that, there was one against Southampton where Andy Robertson passed the ball back to the keeper and it wasn't picked up. Yes. Now, to me, that was a poor decision, right? To not give a free kick. Yeah, the back yeah. pass was there. It's my opinion. The yeah. back pass was there. The keeper picked it up. It should have been an indirect free kick, right? That's one thing. Is that why Liverpool won 4-0 at Southampton? No, 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 of course not. It no. isn't. So you can talk about that all you want. That's the most recent one. There's been others. That's not the reason Liverpool are twenty-two points clear at the top of the Premier League. Yeah, it's not. A, it, it's a, it's a, it is a pure coincidence that we have the first season of VAR and the, and Liverpool are going to win the Premier League. There's no much, nothing more to it than that. But as we've seen for the internet, listen, if there's a conspiracy theory, people will find it, mm -hmm. and not just about football. No, about anything. Um, for me, we 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 did the we did our final word this morning for the Shrewsbury game last night. I didn't expect to win last night. I thought you know it was going to be a really big opportunity for the kids and stuff, and and it was going to be a good experience for them. But in the end, I, I imagine I just thought the physicality of men basically yeah. coming up against these kids was going, yeah. was going to do it. Liverpool, as it happens, go and win one nil. They're still in the FA Cup. For me, there's a massive opportunity now for Liverpool to go and win the treble, given the. Um, 
given the situation that they find themselves in in the league that you know it's potentially going to be wrapped up by the end of March and and then you've got two trophies two two cup competitions to focus on do you think this Liverpool side can win the treble yeah they want yeah. to I yeah. think they can do you think I, they will I think they beat Atletico in yeah. the Champions League the Atletico have got problems it's not a vintage Atletico team they've not got a lot of injuries as well um, then you know you have to you have to get a bit of luck along the way and all the rest of it And but what Liverpool are great at and it comes back to what I said about Klopp earlier tapping into that history tapping into that tradition I mean mm. there's no bigger tradition than for Liverpool than in European competition so yeah. they've got every chance of that um, and other teams that you would fancy aren't I don't think are vintage versions of themselves anyway no. so yeah, you've got a big chance in that I think they've got a big chance in that they've got a big chance in the FA Cup if how think how do you think from here and obviously the game the game was last night and the hot, the the whole debate about Klopp's decision to rest the players and all that yeah. kind, of, kind of took place last week but do you think going forward now the Chelsea game the problem that Klopp's got is that the Chelsea game were drawn away the, the fifth round's going to be midweek like they're all midweek fixtures they're well, scheduled to be I was, was going to come on to the, to the Chelsea game next purely because a question I haven't seen answered yet and possibly I watched the Newcastle game last night and I haven't caught up on the entirety of the Liverpool game from, from last night Obviously, I know they won, and I saw the goal, the own goal. But what's the what's the why didn't Klopp play some players from the first team that need game time? I think for me, it was he could have done. For me, it was clearly a protest yeah. what he did last night because he was promised by the Premier League. A, he a was break. asked by the Premier League not to organise yeah. the other games and promised he wouldn't have a game. And then the FA gave him that. Yeah, and he so was saying, that's enough. For me, you've got two massive institutions that. Uh, you know, trying to run competitions and are just not talking to each other. Yeah, that's I don't, true. Yeah. I don't know how things are run in Germany, but he, I think he gets very, very frustrated by that, and I think he gets frustrated mm. by the fact that I mean, he's really been a big advocate for for this winter break that's come in because mm. he's seen the effect that it has on mm. on on German football and, mm. and, and on foreign football, and, and actually, I think that in five, ten years, because obviously one one of the reasons we're bringing in this winter break is that it's supposed to be able to help the national team. You know, in in the summers when they go out to the tournament. For me, I think in five ten years, we as English football fans will have a real um, appreciation for a winter break as well. Mm. And I think I think it will slowly but surely become mm. a vital part of our season. We just we just haven't seen the benefits properly mm. of it yet. Uh, but yeah, for me, I think it was a real protest. Mm. In terms of yeah, I've got these players, and for for, for what it's worth, I, I kind of agree. I think you know James Milner was in and around the squad last night, but he does need minutes. He's not played since the fifth of January. Mm. Fabinho is another one. But, you know, we're injured over Christmas. He's kind of had his break. I know he's been injured. Yeah. He's, he's had a break. He probably he? wants to keep the um, the kind of team spirit, everyone together. I think stuff. so. Yeah. But but regardless, I mean they won the they won the football match anyway. So but I think the Chelsea game is an interesting one. I was just going to say purely because I feel like. With Chelsea at the moment, you never really know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And if you get Chelsea on a good day, it's going to be a tough game. Yeah. Depending on how Klopp approaches it. But you, you're right to say, I think the key point is that they should have this league wrapped up. I mean, they know they've won it. They just won't tell anyone. They will, yeah. So they, they should have this league wrapped up very early. And then there is a chance to go and do, to replicate mm-hmm. what United did in 99. Yeah. And, and to kind of write your, I mean, they're going to write a name into history anyway, but in a bigger way. Um, so do you I think find that irresistible for, for that, yeah, for yeah. that Chelsea game do you think Klopp has got to change his whole approach then in terms of because that's, that's, that's sandwich I'll tell you now that's sandwich between an away game at Watford yeah. and, a, and a home game versus Bournemouth on the Saturday yeah. two Saturdays yeah, in he's between got four, the next four Liverpool games in the league are yeah. pretty straightforward so, yeah. so yeah. We, if, we, if we keep going we can win the league on the 21st of March at home mm. to Palace 
mm. and that, that's just if we win the next six games there's mm. nothing Man City can do about that so so that 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 cup game will be a little bit early it won't, won't, mm. won't quite be mathematically done yet but mm. what I'm saying is what I feel is that that week if you've got Bournemouth on the Saturday at home mm. I would rather go go to Chelsea mm. you know with with a yeah. strong team and rotate yeah. on the Saturday yeah. and I think that's I think but that's the, I think that's the attitude I think Klopp's got to change his attitude now but, personally but Ben that, that that kind of taps into what the club feel like is the priority mm. and you probably have a better insight into that than me which is that um, although the priority is the league the priority is getting they, the but, league sorted but do they want to go undefeated in the league or do they want to win as many trophies I don't know can? I want to win as many trophies as I can I'm not as bothered I, I mean I think we can do it all. I think we can win it. I think we can win at least two trophies, and I think we can go unbeaten and we can get a hundred points. Mm. But it wouldn't upset me if mm. we didn't get a hundred points mm. and we lost one game mm. and we got a treble. These are nice problems to have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? yeah. I'll pick yeah. between the two. Yeah. Um, so going forward, then you said at the top of the show that in the context of one season and the way this season's turned out, Liverpool are one of the best Premier League teams ever. When you, I think if it carries on, I'll yeah. be clear on that. If it carries on as it is carrying on, they are the, they'll be the best single Premier League team, single season ever. Single season ever. Yeah. So, yeah. In, but in the context of a wider picture, what the Liverpool have to do, maybe this season, maybe in the next couple of seasons, to really, you know, you think about the classic Arsenal sides of the early two thousands, Mourinho's first stint at Chelsea, like. Are they already in that conversation, or do they have to do a little bit more? I mean, they, they have to win the thing, yeah, uh, which they will. But yeah. like, do they do they have to? If they go and win, if they go and defend a European Cup as well, and maybe pick up an FA Cup, maybe win it again next season. Like, does, does that bring them into that conversation yeah. of era teams? Well, I don't think Mourinho's Chelsea was a it's not wasn't a dynasty, was it? It was three seasons. Yeah, when I look back on, I mean, that was my that was when I was growing up. When I look back on, yeah. I look back fond, fondly in a way on Mourinho's Chelsea. Yeah, but it might have had a, it might have had a lasting legacy about how yeah. it affected the Premier League on the whole. But I don't yeah. think you could argue that, that Mourinho at Chelsea was a dynasty no, in, in and of itself I mean I understand why you bring it up because yeah. they were amazing and, yeah. and the way they played and, and all the rest of it so I think this is not going to make it very popular to say this <laughs> but the, the defining team in the Premier League era at the moment is Manchester United right? Yeah. what they achieved under Alex Ferguson what they did very well and what Ferguson did very well was he strengthened the team from a point of strength and that gave them um, so many advantages because they weren't buying because they had to buy so that meant that if it didn't come off the player they were targeting it wasn't the end of the world it also meant the team they were buying from knew that they didn't necessarily need that player so they wouldn't drive as hard a bargain uh, and it meant that it kept the other players on their toes all the time mm. what Liverpool need to do is first of all they need to secure Klopp and his successor kind of as a succession plan which I'm yeah. sure they've probably already done they need to strengthen in bits and pieces where they feel like they, they can from a position of strength Every single player is going to want to go to Liverpool pretty much now. Yeah. They've got to get that right, and then they can secure it. But I don't think you can. I think you've got Marine. Uh, sorry, you've got Ferguson's United and Wenger's Arsenal. I know that people would argue, possibly fairly, that Arsenal didn't win enough Premier League titles in the time Wenger was there. But if you look at how he revolutionised the whole of English football, I do think it's that's suitable to be called a dynasty. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the invincible season as well. Um, so for them, I, I don't, it's interesting for me because I don't even know if it's possible to do that now. I just don't know if the, if the game's yeah. moved on to such an extent as I said earlier that maybe the days of having coaches managers for a long time are kind of well do you gone. have to change the definition of dynasty then yeah because if, Klopp, if Klopp stays for f- well I mean this will be five years this year so if Klopp stays until 2024 that's nine years yeah that's, that's, that's when his contract runs out now he's just signed a new contract so, that, so that, that's a long suddenly time then yeah. that's, that is a it is a long time. time and I think um, if you look at obviously back in the day when Liverpool brought through Paisley to, to 
to graduate behind Shankly and they kept it kept the, the kind of consistency through perhaps I mean a lot was made wasn't it of Gerard's contract when it finishes at Rangers could mm-hmm. he come back in and be under clock for a while we saw in Germany um, um, Yogi Love was the assistant yes. came through as the manager went to win the World Cup I think it's interesting to me because now football's kind of realising again that consistency probably is quite important and the most successful teams even if they don't have a coach there for a long time to give themselves the best chance of sustained success it has to be a succession plan mm. and if they do that it doesn't have to just be about club it can then be about the club in, in general and I think they're, they're, they're almost uniquely positioned not just because they're a huge club that they're always going to be able to attract players of some, some level because of the history but they've also got a better ownership model than Manchester United Man mm. United have all sorts I mean, of problems. yeah, there's all sorts of issues. So, so there's no one position like Liverpool in the country to be able to do that. So if anyone can do it, I guess the answer is that Liverpool can. Liverpool, yeah. Okay, well, thanks very much, Luke. Um, it's been, thanks for having it's me. It's been great chatting to you about how good the Reds are. I know. Are. Uh, not I'm a sure tough a lot for you, of, that, no, not, not at all. Um, the, the, the more interesting stuff, I believe, is coming in the next show. So that's going to be over on the RedmenTV.com. Um, I'm going to talk to Luke all about Football Ramble Daily, how that started, how that's developed over the last... 13 years yeah yeah, 13 years yeah. it's a long, long time yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. and also a little bit about how that's affected the mainstream radio industry as well and, and how our industry if you like has, has grown over the years as well so go over and check that out on the website Luke thanks very much for joining me Thank for part you. one um, we'll see you over there for part two small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.